Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not silent, that you speak to us through your word by your spirit. And so we pray today as we open up this letter to the Philippians, that the Apostle Paul wrote that you would speak to us, that you would show us how we can find contentment in this life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like Mark's been saying, we are in our second week in this new series, uh, in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted about 12 years earlier uh, in the city of Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. And we've titled this series, The Secret Lessons in Contentment. And that comes uh, comes from chapter 4, verse 12, right at the end of the book, uh, where Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And today, the lesson in contentment that we're going to learn is conviction. What we're going to see is the conviction that drove Paul's life and how that led to a joy and a contentment no matter what situation he found himself in. Now, what is conviction? What does it mean to have convictions? I think it's much more than an idea or an opinion that you have on a particular topic. A conviction is a firm belief that you hold that will determine the parameters for how you live and direct the course of your life. That's what a conviction is. And for Paul, there was one great conviction that drove all of his life. And he sums it up in verse 21. It's a verse that has become so famous in the Bible. Here it is. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Christians love this verse, don't they? You put it on a coffee cup, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We say it so quickly, without often actually thinking about what it means, what it would look like to live that out. It's one thing to like the sound of it, isn't it? To have a coffee cup with it on it. But it's, a, it's another thing altogether to actually have that as the great conviction that drives every part of your life. And so what Paul's going to do in this passage today uh, is show us that conviction and how it drove his life and gave him joy and contentment in every area of his life. But I want to take it a step further because this doesn't... Uh, It's not just the conviction that Paul had. It's not just the conviction he had. I I can think of no better verse in the Bible that sums up what it means or what it looks like to live as a Christian than to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul doesn't give us or doesn't show us his great conviction so that we can look at him and admire him. He gives it to us so that we too might take that on and have that as the conviction that drives our lives as well. And so at the end of the letter, he says this, He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Paul wants us too to live out this great conviction, to have this great conviction for our lives as well. Now, just before we jump in, I want to address a question. And the question is this, why should we listen to Paul? Apart from the fact that he's been commissioned by Jesus to be the apostle to go and preach the gospel. But besides that, why should we listen to to Paul here? Well, a couple of years ago, the the New York pastor and author Tim Keller wrote a a little little book called On Death. It was his reflections of what he says as he meets with people uh, who are dying. Um, The problem was that about a month after he published this book, 
he was diagnosed himself with advanced pancreatic cancer. And reflecting on this whole situation and facing the real possibility of his own death, he said this. He said, I spent a lifetime counselling others before my diagnosis. Will I be able to take my own advice? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a great question because it's one thing to have convictions when life is going well, when life is good. But it's another thing altogether to live out these convictions in the midst of suffering and even death. Even death. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in platitudes from Pinterest. I don't even have Pinterest. I don't know why I said that, but I'm sure some of you do. Uh, or seeing some Instagram influencer on Instagram talking about their great convictions in life. Now, I want to hear from people who have experienced deep suffering in their own mortality and see their convictions and how they live them out in their lives. And that's what you get with the Apostle Paul. I doubt there's ever been a Christian who has suffered more for their faith, more for the gospel, than the Apostle Paul. Have a listen to how he sort of recounts what he's been through in his life since he became a Christian. You see that in 2 Corinthians 11. It says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Could you imagine the scars on his back after that? Five times, even just trying to lay down and sleep. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and gone, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, there's been nights where I haven't slept because I'm worried about some of you lot. But imagine this. He's got all these churches. The suffering and persecution that this guy has been through for following Christ. Moreover, as he writes the letter to the Philippians, he's in jail again. He's in prison, put there because he won't stop proclaiming Christ. That's why he's there. And the outcome of his trial as he faces Caesar is going to be life or death. This was a man whose life was filled with suffering and somehow could still say, I rejoice. It's a man who could say, I found the secret to contentment in any and every situation. And as someone who could say in the face of his own death, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's the kind of person I want to listen to. Someone who is not only has these convictions in the good times, but has them in the midst of suffering and death. That's what I want to listen to. And so that's the lesson we're going to learn today from someone who has suffered so many things in his life and still had this joy and this contentment that transcended those. That's what his secret is, and that's what we're going to learn. So how are we going to do that today? Well, it's going to be pretty simple. We're just going to work our way through that passage. So if you've got a Bible, it'd be great to have that open in front of you. Uh, if you don't, it'll come up on the screen as well. 
Okay, the first section there you see in verses 12 to 14, and I've titled it Paul's Conviction in Spite of His Circumstances. Have a look at verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me... Now, as, as I said before, what's happened to him? Well, he's in prison. He's in prison because he won't stop talking about Jesus. Now, most likely, this is his imprisonment in Rome. Uh, he mentions the palace guard here, and in chapter 4, he speaks about the emperor's uh, household. Um, you can read about that in Acts chapter 28, if you want to read about it there. That's where it gets explained. Now, you'd, you'd expect uh, that Paul getting imprisoned uh, would be a hindrance to the gospel going out. Remember, he's the, gospel, uh, the, the apostle who was to go out and preach the gospel. And so if he's locked up in prison, you'd expect that to be a hindrance to the gospel. But that's not what happens. Have a read, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's had the opposite effect from what you would think. Now, Paul gives two reasons for how it's meant the gospel has advanced. Have a look at them. You see the first one in verse 13. He says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, what we know is that the palace guard was made up of about 9,000 soldiers. And we also know that if you were in prison in the first century like this, that you would be chained to a guard, maybe sometimes even two guards. And so 24 hours a day, you'd be chained to these guards and they would take turns at being chained to you. And my question is, who's the prisoner in this situation? Because you've got the Apostle Paul who's in prison because he won't shut up about Jesus. And now he's got a captive audience. He's got people chained to him. What do you think he's going to do in prison? Do you think he's going to keep his mouth shut or do you think he's going to keep telling them about Jesus? Well, it says that, as a result, the whole palace guard, all 9,000 of them know, and everyone else in, in Rome, knows the reason he's in prison. It's not because he's a thief. It's not because he's a murderer. It's because he's in chains for Christ. He won't stop talking about, them, about him. And everyone knows this firsthand. But even more than that, it says some of them get saved. At the end of Paul's letter, if you go uh, to the second last verse, I think it is in Philippians 4 verse 22, as he's sort of sending out some greetings, he says this. He says, all, uh, where is it? all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The gospel has reached even into Caesar's household and people are getting saved. And so the gospel continues to advance through these guards and even into Caesar's own family. Now, do you see the conviction here that plays out in Paul's life? It would have been so tempting for him to just be quiet. He's in prison, I'll just be quiet for a while, hopefully I can get released, and then maybe I can go back to preaching the gospel. But he does the exact opposite. So much so that everyone knows that he's in chains for Christ. Well, that's the first reason. The second surprise that comes from his imprisonment that actually serves to advance the gospel, you see in verse 14. It says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now again, you'd expect the opposite to happen. Paul gets locked up in prison for preaching the gospel. Everyone else gets fearful and they all stop talking as well. Now, and for some, that would be the case. He says that it was the case for some. But Paul says, my imprisonment has actually caused most of the brothers and sisters to become 
more confident and daring. Now, why is that? Why would that be the case? Well, I think sometimes it takes the boldness of one person to encourage others to take a stand too. Think back over the last couple of weeks with uh, Andrew Thorburn and the Asserton Football Club. Um, if he had stepped down from his position on the board of City in a Hill Church, he could have kept his role as the new CEO of Essendon. But he wasn't willing to compromise on his convictions. He chose his faith over uh, this career. Now, while it's true that some people then, some Christians, feared for their own jobs, it's caused many Christians, including City on a Hill Church, to stand up and continue to proclaim the gospel. Sometimes one person's courage can give the rest of us courage to do the same thing. And Paul says that my imprisonment has served to that end. Now, just before we move on, did you notice what he doesn't talk about here? He's not talking about his own circumstances, the unjustness of him being in prison, the suffering that he's going through. All he cares about is the gospel going out, the gospel advancing people coming to know Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And if that's the case, then Paul's content, even in these circumstances. Okay, so that's the first one, Paul's conviction in spite of his circumstances. The second section in verses 15 to 18, you'll see it there in your Bibles, is Paul's conviction in spite of trouble. Now, of those uh, people who became more confident in preaching the gospel, uh, Paul says there was really uh, two groups, and these two groups had different motives for why they were preaching. Have a look, verse 15. He says, it, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And so two different motives here, some who are preaching out of envy and some who are preaching out of goodwill. Now, what is important to notice there? is that both these groups, the ones who are preaching out of envy and the ones who are preaching out of goodwill, are both preaching Christ. It's not as if they have a different message here, a different gospel, as in one is preaching the true gospel and one is preaching a false gospel. No, Paul says, no, they're both preaching Christ. They just have different motives for why they're doing it. So let's have a look at these two groups. The first one's preaching Christ out of goodwill, and Paul expands on, the, on them in verse 16. So verse 16, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, I don't think the love that Paul's referring to here is a love for him, but I think it's a love for people, that they too would get to hear the gospel. And so they continue to preach, even though Paul's in prison, so that they may get to hear the gospel as well. But there's also a second group. And you see them in, in verse 17. It says, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, these people are preaching Christ, but their ambition isn't so that the gospel will advance, that others will come to faith. It seems to be their ambition behind it is selfish. They have selfish motives. Maybe they can make a name for themselves now that Paul is in prison. Furthermore, Paul seems to think that in them doing it this way, they're stirring up trouble for him while he's in prison. Now, what exactly Paul means by this, we don't really know what this trouble was. 
My best guess uh, is that it's something like the more people kept talking about Jesus, the more that reflects poorly on him and the more chance that his imprisonment will lead to death. But even in this situation, look at Paul's great conviction. Have a look at verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. If Christ is preached, then who cares what happens to me? If Christ is preached, I can rejoice. Do you see Paul's great conviction here? And so, Paul's great conviction in spite of his circumstances. Paul's great conviction in spite of his trouble. And thirdly, in verses 18 to 26, we see Paul's conviction in spite of death. Have a look from verse, the second half of 18. He says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, why is it that Paul's rejoicing here? Well, I think it's in the confidence that he's going to be delivered. There's going to be a deliverance. He says, through your prayers and through the Holy Spirit, I'm confident this whole situation, as in him being in prison, will turn out for his deliverance. Now, it'd be pretty easy here on first reading to think he's talking about getting out of prison. Right? After all, if you're in prison, you probably want to get out. But I don't think that's what he's confident of here. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what Paul's saying here is, whether he is freed from prison or whether he is executed, either way, he's confident that this is going to work out for his deliverance. Because look what he says in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So he's clearly got death on his mind. Now, like I said earlier, there's really only two options for Paul when he's in prison. He's either going to be released or he's going to be executed. But either way, Paul says, it's going to turn out for my deliverance, whether it's in life or in death. His concern here isn't being delivered from prison, isn't being released. His concern here is that, and he expects and hopes that he will not be ashamed of Christ, that as he has opportunity to stand before Caesar, that he will have the courage to exalt Christ whether that means life or death. Do you see that? But did you also see what makes him so confident that he won't be ashamed when he gets to stand before Caesar? Well, it's not because he has this boldness in himself. He asks for the prayers of the Philippians and the provision of the Spirit. I think it would be wrong to think of Paul as just this emotionless robot who doesn't have any fear. Have you ever read the through some of his letters and feel like, oh man, I'm just the opposite of this. He's not here relying on himself. He's asking for prayer, that they would pray for him, to, that God would give him boldness. And he's saying the provision of God's spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ is the thing that's going to empower me to continue to live out this great conviction. That's what Jesus said in, in Mark 13. He said, whenever you are arrested... And brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, 
of the Holy Spirit. Paul has this great confidence in God, not in himself. And it's with all this context that we get to verse 21, this great summary of his conviction. And so verse 21, for to me, as in with everything that I've just said, for all the stuff that's been happening in life, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's so much packed into those few words, isn't there? So much just built into there. What, what's he saying? We're saying, all of my life is about Christ. Jesus is what I live for. And if Jesus is my life, well, then death is only gain because it means I'll get to go and be with him. Later on in, in chapter 3, he'll say it this way. is I can consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth. That compared to everything else, the worth of Christ is so much more that to live is Christ. He is completely convinced that Jesus is of more worth than anything and everything else in his life. And so he can say to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I think everything in Paul's life pointed to this to this great conviction that he lived out, that drove his life. Now, I don't think this means that if you have a conviction like this, that you'll never be sad, that you'll never suffer, that things won't affect you. Paul, speaking of his own life in, in 2 Corinthians 6, says, I'm sorrowful, yet also always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Living with a great conviction like this doesn't mean that you won't be sorrowful, but it means in the midst of that sorrow and that suffering, you still have Christ and then you, therefore you can rejoice because he is of so much more worth than anything and everything else. And there's nothing that can take Jesus away from you if you hold to this. No circumstances, no trouble, not even death. And so, Grace City, is that the great conviction that drives your life? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Or are you living for something else? Because it's one thing to have it on a coffee mug, isn't it? But it's another thing to actually live it out in your life. To be driven by that. It's only when Jesus is of more worth to you than everything else that you'll actually live out that conviction. And think about it. What, what, can, what can anyone do to someone who lives like that? What could anyone do to Paul? Stop preaching about Christ or we'll put you in prison. Good. I'll tell the guards. Well, we'll kill you then. Even better. I get to go to heaven and be with Christ. Well, I, I guess we'll let you go then. Awesome. I'll go and tell more people about Jesus. What can you do to someone who lives like that? And so again, do you believe... That to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that the great conviction that drives your life? I reckon we get the second half of it. I reckon we're on board with that, to die is gain. Particularly when life isn't going all that well. But it's the to live is Christ part, I think, is the harder bit, isn't it? What does it mean? What does it mean to live is Christ? Well, it's everything Paul's been showing us in his life, how he lives his life. It's putting Christ and his gospel 
before and above everything else. It's living for Christ, but it's also living like Christ. It's living for Christ, but it's also living like Christ. And that's what we see next. So have a look in verse 22. He says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be with, depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Do you see his struggle, the wrestle that's going on here? If it's just about him, well, I want to be with Christ. That's my desire. But then he goes, oh, but for your sake, it's better that I remain. And so verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Do you see his motivation here? It's other person centered. It's more necessary for you that I remain, for your progress and your joy in the gospel. What does it mean to, to live as Christ? Well, it means to live for Christ but it means to live like Christ, to be other person-centered. And that's what we're going to see next week. That's where Paul goes next. Come back next week because Paul's going to hold up the great example of Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and lived for other people's interests and not his own, laid down his life for them. That's where we're going next week. And so there you have it, Paul's great conviction that drove his life to live is christ and to die is gain and we've seen how that has played out in his life no matter what the circumstances or trouble or even death he has learnt the secret of contentment in any and every situation and so what paul does lastly as he finishes this section is he turns and addresses the philippians themselves to encourage them to also live the way he does, to live out these, this great conviction. Let's have a look at verse 27. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul's like, I've shown you my life, but now it's over to you. You also Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live a life that's consistent with the gospel that you've trusted in. Now, you know what one of the things that turns people away from the gospel more than anything else? It's Christians who believe one thing and then live completely differently. Hypocr Christian hypocrisy. It's, it's Christians who say they believe one thing and then are willing to compromise in all sorts of areas in their lives. That's what turns people away from the Christian faith. Paul says, don't be like that. He says, live a life that's worthy of the gospel, where your life matches your convictions. And so verse 27, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
And then he finishes by reminding them that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's not, not just for Paul, not just for the first century, that suffering is a part of the Christian life. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He says, remember that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's not a sign that you're out, not loved by God. It's part of the Christian life. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. If Christ is the great treasure in your life, if he is of more worth than everything else in your life, if you can really live that Christ, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain, it will lead to suffering and persecution in this life. But what does it matter if to live is Christ and to die is gain? What can they do? And so again, I want to ask you, what is the great conviction that drives your life? Is it to live as Christ and to die as gain, or is it something else? And will that work in suffering and death? To live as Christ and to die as gain, that's the great conviction that drove Paul's life, and it's the secret to his contentment and his joy in circumstances, in trouble, and even in death. And so, Grace City, what would it take for that to be the great conviction of your life too? Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to say to live is Christ and to die is gain, but so often we don't live like that. So often we don't hold your son up as the thing of surpassing worth in our lives. Father, would you... Help us to see him as our greatest treasure, that we could truly say to live is Christ and therefore to die is gain. Pray that you would give us boldness and courage through your Holy Spirit when, we have, when we're in opportunities like this to stand with conviction, to live by those convictions, to be, for them to be the thing that drive our life. So, Father, we want that to be true in our lives, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.